we're going to get started, okay. Well, I'll cut out anything at the beginning here if it doesn't. <laughs> okay. But just in case we get gold, Bishop. You never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know when the gold's going to drop. <laughs> <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So yeah, there's a maybe a little catching up to do, Rob. You're down in Edwardsville. Have yeah. you, you guys talked in a while? No, I've not uh, spoken I, to you guys for a while. I don't think so. I was I was sad to miss you. I was looking forward to seeing you, Bishop. I was sad on a lot of levels, but I was uh, looking forward to seeing you. Actually, our Archbishop Sheen's um, yeah. beatification. That was the last time I think we had emailed. Yeah, at least I was all set to uh, to preach at the uh, evening prayer the night before, and it mm-hmm. was set for September, if you remember, and then it was set for December. And both times the, the good bishop, Bishop Jenke, reached out to me and I said, like, yes, I'll clear my calendar and be there. Hmm. So I was, yeah, super disappointed when that was called off or at least yeah, postponed. I, I was too. It's interesting. Bishop Jenke did not contact me about speaking, though. So I wonder, <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, told him maybe. not to. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you don't ask him about Johnson. <laughs> no, I did not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, he probably maybe he just typed in my email wrong. I don't know. That's probably, what I'll go. Yeah. That's what I'll go with. <laughs> yeah, a quick update, Bishop. Going well here. Still down in Edwardsville. Um, Where's that? Yeah, yeah. Edwardsville is like 25 minutes north of St. Louis or oh, so. Oh, it's right down there. Okay. Yeah. Very so good. southwest portion of uh, Springfield Diocese, mm-hmm. kind of in the metro east of St. Louis. Yeah. Um, sure. Worked a couple of years. St. Boniface, uh, pretty good sized parish. Great people. Father Jeff Geckner is the pastor yeah, here. Sure. No, yeah, old Mundelein guy. Yeah, I yep. taught him. Sure. And um, and then do, doing the the Newman work is is uh, just tremendously fun and life giving as Go well. Ahead. So there's Where are you state doing school. It again? Okay, right. SI so Southern Illinois yeah. U in Edwardsville. Uh, so Go growing. Um, yeah, doing a little bit of vocations work and assistant uh, director for that department now, and that's been fun. Uh, yeah. No, honestly, life. Um, Life has been good. Like very uh, kind of present update. I was had I was on a focus mission trip with twenty seventeen students and a few missionaries uh, in France. Actually, when oh. all the like restrictions hit. Oh my god! So I'm just I'm just finishing up. I'm good and healthy and everything, but just finishing up the the self quarantine. Oh, and you did okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> and then on Saturday when I'm off self quarantine. Uh, pretty much nothing changes because Illinois. <laughs> Everyone's is on. on quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So that's my that's my life update for you. Yeah, good. I appreciate that. Yeah, and then Bishop, I'm I'm in Rome actually. Um, You're but, in Rome. Oh, Rome, well, Georgia. This is Rome, Georgia. That's okay. right. <laughs> Very different. Uh, this There's is the Athens, real Rome. Georgia too, right? Where there is. is from. Yeah, we have we have a lot of the classic city names. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I've been out here for I guess we're going on a year now. Um, parochial vicar. Yeah, uh, it's about a twenty five hundred parish family and fifty uh, percent, maybe sixty forty Spanish to English. Oh, okay. So, um, getting to uh, habla de español mucho. Excelente. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, so that that's yeah that was a a challenge initially, um, but. I guess less intimidated by the language and especially the sacramental use of the language. Yeah, good. And, um, 
but then I'm also doing reserve time as a chaplain yeah. for mm-hmm. the army and I drive down to Macon, Georgia and I drill with a unit once a month there. Okay. Um, and now, when been, do you go full time with the army? Like is yeah, it five years or something as I remember? No, it'll be, it depends on if they count my STL year. Um, so oh, it's yeah. three years as a priest in the diocese, but okay. my first year was back up at Mundelein and then, um, so it may be three here physically in the diocese or it may be yeah. two and then they send me active duty. So yeah, TBD okay. on that, um, but enjoying that work immensely. Uh, but Good. I mean, I I love the parish and Rome's about an hour northwest of Atlanta, so it's a highway seventy five okay. and it's off the beaten path. Um, that's for you're sure. kind of on the way to Chattanooga. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. So I played golf there one time in Chattanooga. I remember it was northwest of Atlanta. Yep, yep. Yeah, Chattanooga. Um, I'd have to drive through there to get up to Chicago when I would drive back up to Mundelein, go through Chattanooga, yeah, okay. beautiful, beautiful city, but it's been great being a priest, you know, only a priest for a couple of years now. Um, but you're enjoying it, enjoying it immensely. Good. I love my, my army stuff and I love Delighted. working at the parish. So yeah, terrific. yeah, but I'm actually at home right now. I just drove home well, oh, really? for my off day, yeah. technically, <laughs> even though every day is kind of the, it's, it feels like the same, um, yeah. I'm, well, are quarantined. you quarantined up there? With yeah, the city family. is shut okay. down essentially, and so I yeah. I drove home, and we get all these mass parasites. Um, meaning when I come home, my family hears, and I'm gonna celebrate mass, and they all come up, and yeah. so they <laughs> they have. So I was just able to celebrate mass for them, and then I said, "Everybody, go away! I'm right. podcasting <laughs> with with Bishop Barry. Go away! Go away!" <laughs> yeah. So I very rudely. Um, broke communion with them and told oh, them they'll get over it stay they will get over it <laughs> they understand it. <laughs> yeah jesus understands yeah so that's that's where i am bishop good that sounds good that sounds very good well bishop Connor, it seems like well i'm still uh still, uh, still at the uh, college plugging away at the newman center here at uic yeah yep good but you guys are all shut yeah. down and everything university extended spring break a week early so the kids all left and um so they're doing the rest of the semester online it's the weirdest it's, time isn't it it's it is so time. weird i've never obviously lived through anything like this is the only analog i can think of is 9-11 but this is much yeah. more pervasive this is stranger yeah in a way it's stranger I, of course in all my years i've never seen the like of it and uh we're just trying to to respond you know the church like every day we're just sort of reeling out here and and i've been doing a lot of phone calls with the archbishop and the other bishops and the priest council and, uh, you know, conference call is sort of the name of the game right now, but we're just trying to figure out every time what to do. And so we've been Hmm. moving along and now we're at the point where all the churches are simply shut. You know, we had said, well, maybe the church can remain open. People come in for, you know, uh, private prayer, maintain their distance and all that. But, but we realized that's not working because people who were sick, we're in the churches. And so yeah. then the church had to be, um, Lysong. Yeah. And yeah. which is, you know, costing a fortune of money and putting people in danger. So then we decided, okay, we just have to shut everything down. And, hmm. you know, we're doing the, 
daily mass here from my my little chapel. Just you know, put a simple camera up and <laughs> yeah, I see Father Gruno. Yeah, <laughs> I was talking to some of my siblings about it, and they were like, "Who is this guy who looks like Magneto? <laughs> He's like the most intense looking priest." He's the man, isn't he? I said, "Yeah, he is. He is absolutely the most intense priest." And his his preaching is so good. It's, I'm I'm happy that. You know, we can be exposing the wider world to his preaching because it's so good. Mm, cool. Yeah, it seems like um, I was thinking about this and leading up to our call that uh, you kind of seem uniquely positioned that you've you've been kind of online mm-hmm. in your evangelization for a yeah. long time. Um, right, and and we saw that too right away. That like, okay, this is all we got now. You know, right. all the different avenues have been shut down, and so we got to use it. And yes, it's in place, even though Word on Fire, like everybody else, has been affected. Our, our various offices, people can't come and so on. But mm. still, with our kind of skeleton crew here, we're able to keep pumping things out. I was over at our studio the other day. It just It's over at the uh, at the mission here in Santa Barbara. And, uh, you know, still able to do some commentaries and some sermons. Uh, so, yeah, we're taking advantage of, of the one avenue still left to us. Yeah. And I saw your video on the Pascalian moment as well. I've been thinking yeah, about that. did that mm-hmm. just about a week ago. And I just wrote a little piece yesterday, in fact, that'll be coming out next week, that's sort of reflecting on, gosh, a lot of the tragedies that have happened since I've been out here. In my brief time out in California, we had that awful Thomas fire, you know, that was at the time the worst in California history. Yeah. It chased me out of my house twice. Uh, and that was followed by the mudslide. Yeah. In Montecito, which is 10 minutes from where I live, and 25 people were killed. If hmm. you remember, uh, this is about, oh, it was late 2018. There was a shooting in Thousand Oaks. A guy came in and, and opened fire in this, in this restaurant, killed 13 people. That's in my pastoral region. Hmm. Last, uh, Labor Day, those 35 people were killed in the fire. Remember in the boat that hmm. was just off of Santa Barbara Harbor. And I, I'm saying all that not to depress everybody, but just to say, I mean, that's life is it's full of these reminders of our fragility, of our contingency, how passing life is. And those tragic moments kind of just bring it to the fore. Well, then I try to put this thing in that context of, yeah, once again, we're reminded of how fleeting life is, how fragile we are. And we can't cling to anything in this world to find our ultimate, uh, you know, uh, support. Anyway, I just did a little spiritual musing on this time hmm. i've been thinking about that uh, as well i was on a call i should be in honduras right now with oh. uh, a team of like rob went to france i was going to yeah. go on a, a mission trip as well with the students here and we've just been meeting on zoom with the kids that would have been on the trip and yesterday we were on a call with uh, a woman on the ground who was going to be kind of our point person when we were there and she was talking about um, the poor and their response to the thing and how the country's basically on, you know, a serious lockdown and we can go out for runs and walks and stuff, but they yeah. are, uh, cause the resources in that country, she said, you know, they're talking about 30,000 ventilators in New York. They have eight in the entire yeah, country of Honduras. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Um, so if and when the thing really breaks out, it'll be uh, oh, terrible. It's, yeah, going to be just a catastrophe. So, but her her message was pretty hopeful. You know, she was talking about the poor kind of being used to living hand to mouth right. and dealing yeah. with tragedies on a regular basis. And this has been my you know somewhat limited exposure um, myself as a priest, being with the poor and the imprisoned and the sick. Yeah. 
that, um, you know, from a place of comfort and security, it's, it's kind of the argument, um, of theodicy mm-hmm. is sort of an armchair experiment, uh, yeah. experiment. But when you really meet people in the, in the thick of those tragedies and the suffering, yeah. um, you find it an immense amount of faith and also an appreciation for every tender mercy, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever well, little thing that is. You know, I, I use that word contingency, which is a, a technical philosophical term, but I remember my, my uh, theological friend Paul Tillich saying that in the 20th century, we began to feel what contingency means. <laughs> so contingency classically just means that you're, you're dependent in your being. You're dependent on some causes outside yourself, which sounds kind of antiseptic. But what we've just been describing is what it feels like to be contingent. You know, even the fact that for us, you know, more privileged types, you go to the grocery store and it's the first time in my life that's ever happened. You walk in and the thing is empty. Yeah. And there's that little, you know, again, nothing like what, what the real poor are experiencing, but that little twinge of like, oh my gosh, that's where I get milk and bread and eggs and things yeah. for, and it's not there. Yeah. And you get that, that suddenly it occurs to you. I am really contingent. (laughs) I'm dependent upon something as fundamental, but I hardly ever think about it because my food's always there. And, you know, someone goes shopping, I guess, and it shows up in the refrigerator. But a time like this is a good reminder of what it feels like to be contingent, which means ultimately dependent upon God. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like the day before it all unraveled, I had ordered some running shoes. I needed some new Nike running shoes on Amazon. And it's just such an insane experience. Like I clicked a button on my computer in my office (laughs) and then they showed up in my office the next day. The next day. Like I had somebody deliver shoes to my door Mm -hmm. and I didn't even have to see them. I just like magic. I can get whatever I want at the click of a button. Yeah. 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 But yet something happens to us. You know, we get sick, for example, and, and you realize in your bones, oh my gosh, I'm so fragile. Or yeah. something like this to the society. The society is suddenly interrupted. And you realize, gosh, this whole network that supports me could just be severed like that. Um, and that's why those things do throw us back upon, upon God, you know, and how often our great spiritual masters sort of put us in the presence of contingency. And, and why a lot of the spiritual practices like of Lent are meant to push you in that direction, to go into the desert. Um, you know, so that's why this thing happening during Lent strikes me as really interesting. It, it'll be the most unforgettable Lent. I can tell you that I, the rest yeah. of my life. We'll yeah. say the Lent of 2020, you know, when we were, we were quarantined, which is a, a good old Lenten term, you know. Yeah, uh, so I don't know. That's, there's, there's a lot of spiritual power, I think. That's implicit in this experience, and we have we preachers and teachers, I think, have to keep bringing that out for the people. You know, it made me think of a, a story Father Rishka Buzda told at, um, mm-hmm. I think it was him IPF. at IPF. Uh, of it might have just been an imaginative exercise, but he was talking about the discernment of spirits and how subtle these little battles can be, mm-hmm. um, whether or not you're going to choose the good or or not. Um, that God is proposing. And he, he used the example of a, of a guy who's kind of been living for himself and doing well in business and forgetting of forgetting his family and maybe has some mortal sins on his conscience, but hasn't been to mass in a, in a while. And is not really aware of it. Mm-hmm. 
and he gets in the car and he's got, you know, a 30 minute drive. And it's the, it's the instant between when he turns on the radio or not. And it's like, whether he chooses the silence in that moment or not could be mm-hmm. the, could be the tipping point of whether he really starts to confront some of these things and starts to, you know, hear the mercy of God, which will be a pang on his conscience and start the move towards him and the purgative way. But how easy it would be, especially when you're accustomed to, um, divertissement, as you said in the Pascal video, yeah, to just silence that. And I, I just wonder if, uh, this is a time I know I've experienced it myself. You know, what do you do with this? Um, you're not in Honduras. You're not, you know, I didn't think I was going to have a day off in March and now I have all of the days. <laughs> I mean, I still have work to do, but, um, you know, what do you do with that empty space? And I think the, the internet stuff helps with, the um, the communal, but I, I do think it's still, especially as a priest, when you're used to, um, your kind of reason for being, being people in the pews and yeah, in the right. confession line and stuff, you know, when that, we have to be careful not to uh, isolate. I think that being alone, quiet in your room is uh, is so important. But to not fall into a kind of atomized existence is going to be the tough thing when you can't physically be with people. Yeah. Well, and then you find ways to reach out, which I think we're all trying to do. I mean, so it's, it's virtual. It's less than perfect and all that. But we find ways to keep the contact going. Mm-hmm. I'm one thing, like as a as the bishop of this region here, to stay in touch with my priests. So, you know, we've been making all these decisions about liturgies and about money. That's a you know huge concern for the church because suddenly people aren't showing up on Sunday to give donations. So a lot of these parishes, not all of them, but a lot of my parishes live kind of week to week. And so, what do you do? And we're making all kinds of decisions about that. So then, trying to stay in touch with the pastors who are. They're nervous, you know, which I totally understand. Yeah. Uh, and they're thinking about, I got to lay people off. I can't keep these, you know, operations going. And so part of my job as the bishop has been just to, you know, through calls and through emails and conference calls to keep reaching out to the pastors to say, you know, we haven't forgotten you. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you need help, let us know. So I think finding all those avenues of contact. One thing too for me is my mother. My mother, you know, who's <laughs> 98 and she's living in assisted living way wow. back in Oak Park, Illinois, and uh, hates my being out here. She's never been happy that I'm here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I get to Chicago, which is not all that frequently, of course, I see her. And I was supposed to come in April. We were going to have our, our Word on Fire board meeting in uh, Chicago. Well, of course, it got called off. And so, you know, I told my mother, well, Mom, I won't be in in April. But just trying to stay in touch with her because she's completely isolated. Mm-hmm. You know, it, correctly, they've they've taken the really elderly people and just said absolutely nobody comes to see them. So my sister, my brother, her friends, no one can see her. Well, it's rough when you're, you know, basically in a wheelchair and you're stuck in one room. Um, so anyway, all yeah. these avenues of of reaching out to people, we have to keep exploring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have seen a lot of people just going on walks and runs and things like yes. that. That's that's a real advantage that I have being in a, a more rural area mm-hmm. outside of a, a big metropolis. And do you guys, can you do it without like uh, violating social distance? There's enough mm-hmm. space. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I live kind of out in the sticks. And so <laughs> I've, uh, I've seen just a lot more people just kind of sitting out on their front porch and yeah. um, just being outside. And actually <laughs> I was catching up with a friend wearing some, uh, some high tech kind of, 
hidden Bluetooth headphones and I was walking around my little country area and apparently I got the cops called on me because really? <laughs> people, <What? laughs> yeah, so some some good old boy pulls up in his truck and he said, you looking in our house, man? And oh. I'm like, oh no, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm on the phone. <laughs> he, so he thought... Because he was outside and he just saw some random guy walking around. Yeah. So he said, why don't you come back and actually talk to the neighbors and let them know that you're not stealing their stuff. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. I was totally oblivious to it, yeah. catching up with the buddy. But but it's because they were outside and I was right. outside and we had never seen each other before, you know. So yeah. opportunity for a new friend there and didn't get <laughs> shot. That was good. Yeah, yeah, that is good. Out in California, you know, maybe you heard about this, but. So many people were going like to the beach and to these hiking trails. They had to call that off because wow. they were violating social. There's so many people out here and they're yeah. all cooped up. Yeah. So of course they go. Now I'm a little further out in Santa Barbara, so it's not quite as crowded. I've hmm. been finding kind of new trails to take. So after a day of phone calls and I've been also working on, on a book, which has been a good thing. I'm back to that. But toward the end of the day, I like to get out and exercise. So I've been finding new hiking trails and. And of course, it's so beautiful here. That's been a, you know, a positive side of this whole experience, I guess. Yeah. yeah. What book are you Bishop, working on? Oh, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Well, yeah. The, what uh, book are you working on? We're interested. Oh yeah, it's a book. Do you remember Father Paul Murray? You guys remember him, don't you? Oh, oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, a great friend of mine. And this is, I don't know, a couple of years ago maybe. He said to me, "I have an idea for your next book." And I said, "What?" He goes, <laughs> "A book on the creed." He said, "Just a book." Hmm. that would explain in a serious way, but to people who are like, you know, the, the nuns that I am trying always to address, the the uh, uh, unaffiliated, so people who wandered away from Christianity. And I think it's increasingly true. Most people under 50 even often don't even have a, a clear idea what Christians believe and why. So I thought, yeah, that is kind of a good idea. So it was on the back burner, and then I started work on it. A little bit. I just kind of, I have it. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. I got the Nicene Creed taped up to my wall and I'm just walking <laughs> through it, you know? So I have, let's see, as of right before I, I came on this phone call, if I can, I've got, um, 31,793 words. Wow. <laughs> so it's coming along. Uh, and so this has been an opportunity to get back into this book and I've written a lot <laughs> the last, oh, maybe 10 days. So I try to write. Cool. It's sort of like my old days when I was doing my doctoral work in Paris. I, I try to write about 1,500 or 2,000 words a day, which is kind of a lot, actually, if you if you count it out. Um, but it's given me an opportunity to get back into it. And I th I'm much more hopeful now that I can get this done. The problem, of course, is given my current life. It's not like when I was at Mundelein, when, you know, often in the summertime, that's when I wrote my books because, you know, I was through teaching. I had like three months and... You could just, you know, sit around and watch Jeopardy all day, or you could. <laughs> so I would, that's when I would do my writing. And you'd have four, five, six hours a day to write. Hmm. Well, that's how you get books done. Yeah. Um, but here now, and as a bishop, it's much harder to find the time. So this has been like a little grace for me that way. It's opened a little door of opportunity. So I'm, I'm right at the section on, um, he suffered death and was buried. I'm right on that line of the creed. I'm trying to explain. Well, hmm. Do you self-edit as you're writing, or is that 1,500, 2,000 words? Is it just, I'm gonna, I'll edit it later? Yeah, this is what, I would call this an elaborated first draft. So what I do with a book like this, 
is I write, but not like in a super polished way. I'm trying to just get the ideas out and trying to get a rough sort of outline of how it's going to flow. But it's more than just like bullet points. It's it's crafted, but not finely crafted. Mm-hmm. And then when I finish with this thing, I've got about 48 single space pages right now. I don't know when I'm done with this draft. It might be 100, 120 pages. Then I, I'll go through that as a, a basis. That's like the foundation. And then I'll start over again and sort of referring to this text. I'm old school, so I'll probably actually print all this out mm-hmm. and put it next to me. And then on the basis of that, I'll actually craft the book. So you're not rewrite, or you're not, um, copying and pasting from the first draft and well, you're actually rewriting some of it like some of it i probably would say yeah that's okay that sentence is pretty good or that's mm-hmm. working and but but this will provide now something i'll go to my back porch and i'll you know read it through as a book that i find as a book writer is one of the hardest things actually is when you're writing a book you're not reading the book <laughs> you know yeah. and it's a very different experience because you're writing it, you're kind of so into it and so into the into the trees that you're missing the forest. Mm-hmm. And then you read it and say, oh, gosh, no, 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 that's ridiculous. Or no, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> or, Didn't I already say that? And, you know, hmm. so that's a big part of it is to read it through. And then I take notes on the on the first draft as I read. And then eventually, you know, like in a perfect world, this this won't be true, but in a perfect world, I would then go off to a cabin somewhere hmm. with the draft and then actually, you know, write it. That would be nice to have that cab, especially these days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how long this thing lasts. Please God, not that much longer. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Okay, Bishop, I wanted to ask as well, um, while we had you, what specifically encouraging people like in in these days that are struggling with, um, yeah, not being able to come to mass, not be able to receive the Eucharist. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw it, but Bishop Habraki, how he framed it, like when we, in a sense, the, the faithful weren't, um, going to come to masses anymore. I just thought it was really cool how he framed it because he was very specific and he what talked he about say? like, we're, well, we're going to, we're going to still have masses, but they're going to be, uh, sine popolo. So without a congregation. And so just to want to assure people that, like, the priest will be st- still offering Mass for their intentions. Mm-hmm. But he cited, it's, it's Joseph Ratzinger in the book, Behold the Pierced One. Mm-hmm. And he talks about in there a Eucharistic fast, which oh, apparently yeah. he, he yeah, cites that St. Augustine did. Yeah. I was not familiar with this at all. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was cool in... I've been thinking about it a lot to frame it in, yeah, not, not positive in the sense of like everybody loves this is happening, but it's kind of another way, yeah, to not waste this time to enter into Lent a little more, more deeply. It's just, I feel like it's just a little something to give people of like, hey, as crazy as, as is, this is, you can still, you can fast from, from this or offer it as a prayer in that way. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it does. And what I've been thinking about, because I've been writing and speaking recently a lot about the real presence because of that um, pew form study right? You know, that said 70% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. And that so bothered me that I've been writing and speaking. I just did something at the LA Congress. In fact, one of my last public appearances was speaking at that big thing. 
And it was all about the real presence. And so here's what I've been thinking about, Rob, is as now we can't go to Mass, um, that you your hunger for it increases. And you realize, gosh, that that does mean the world to me. And that's so much more than just a nice religious service or memorial or something. That there's something so indispensable about the Eucharist. So that the reawakening the hunger for the Eucharist is correlated to the doctrine of the real presence. And maybe, you know, it's the Lord's way, oddly, of saying, yeah, remember what we're dealing with here. And you who've grown so kind of casual about the real presence, um, remember what this is. Yeah. Uh, you, I'm sure, have seen a lot of the some of the criticism of the church in kind of buckling uh, and not celebrating masses publicly. I yeah, mean, but at, at I this have point, zero sympathy with that. And, and I've, I've been speaking out against that. And when it pops up, and even people that I, I like and admire, but I, I just don't get that perspective at all. And I think Me it's neither. so unfair to priests and bishops like, you know, what, where are the courageous bishops that will... And, you know, people will put the picture of the priest going out to anoint someone in the midst of a battle. But that's a completely false analogy. It's a completely mm-hmm. false analogy. What we're trying to do is save our people from this deadly illness. And so, hey, let's gather hundreds of people in church, including lots of elderly people, so that we can all feel like we're being courageous. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. We're putting the most vulnerable people at risk, children, etc. So, no, no, I, I have zero sympathy for that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's people just stirring up trouble really unnecessarily. Yeah. And I, I wonder, too, um, my first thought uh, with those objections has been, uh, yeah, I think that the church does need to be there, but for the sick and the dying. I mean, that, that's kind sure. of your point, I think, that, um, I mean, the priest going into battle with his anointing kit, that's the priest going to anoint somebody with coronavirus, not just having a regular Sunday Mass um, for the faithful. Even there, we have all kinds of uh, restrictions and so on in place. I mean, for a priest just to go uh, barreling into, you know, a hospital room because I'm here to anoint you, and then he gets the illness and starts passing it around to other people, and, uh, you know, I'm going to anoint you, and then you, and then you, and I I don't change the oil stock, and I've now sickened five other people. I, I mean, how is that? you know, courageous. I think that's ridiculous. And so, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, yes, we have in place all kinds of protocols and we're trying to follow what the medical professionals are telling us, you know, and if you're properly accoutred, et cetera, you can do it. But I, I don't think to be calling into question the courage of priests or bishops is, is at all helpful. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're trying, I, I mean, I think of all the phone calls I had last week with the Archbishop, the other auxiliaries, with the priest council, and we're, you know, we're all priests. We, we, of course we want to have mass. Of course we want to be with the people. And yes. we're just trying to find what's the best way for us to handle this uniquely challenging situation. So it doesn't help, it seems to me, to be throwing around things like, you know, you're not like the courageous saints of old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we that we were kind of laughing about it actually at our last podcast, like the idea that we're super excited to close all the churches and you know, like we're we're not interested in Jesus and yeah, it's just that's so not how it is. And so to hear that as like a claim and almost an accusation, it's 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 just missing the boat. The devil, 
you know, as I taught you guys years ago, he scatters and he accuses. Yeah. It's always the mark of the demonic. And so hmm. the devil uses people all the time. And, uh, you know, so let's accuse, let's accuse, let's divide, let's separate hmm. them. Precisely during a difficult time when we should be coming together in mutual support. So, yeah, to me, that's just, that's demonic stuff. Yeah. Bishop, I, I have felt... Um, I mean, as a priest and like, I, I really have felt the responsibility and the obligation to like really pray for, for my people and on behalf of my people. And yeah. actually it's been kind of cool. I don't know if y'all have noticed this as well, but for the office of readings, a lot of these first readings is Moses mm-hmm. pleading on behalf of his people before God. Mm-hmm. And I guess I've really related to that, um, that we've always had these figures, um, these, these mediators that come mm-hmm. before the Lord and. And like beg, beg for his grace and beg for his mercy on behalf of his people. And I, I've really um, been glad that we've had those office of readings yeah. correspond with this experience. Like here's Moses stepping into the cloud and into the fire um, and talking to the Lord on behalf of his people. And and I guess I I do kind of feel like that when the people can't approach Christ truly present in the Eucharist, like. That's my responsibility right now. I, I do feel that obligation um, in finding fulfillment in that, actually praying on behalf of the people of Rome there. Yeah, no intercessory prayer. Uh, last week I did one of the homilies we did um, for my chapel. I preached on that theme because uh, I think it's it's very it's it's basic in the Bible uh, that we pray for each other and to. To parse out the exact metaphysics of that, I think, is very tricky. <laughs> you know, like, how does that work? And the best I think you can say is one member of the mystical body can bear the burden of another member of the mystical body. You know, and I, th- I use the example of uh, so many people I've known over the years who find their way out of a bad lifestyle or something, and they'll say, you know, it's my, it's my grandmother's prayers. I just know it. And hmm. it might be grandma in heaven, but, uh, it's, I just know it. My grandmother, all those years I was wondering was praying for me. And I, I think we all know that is true. <laughs> However you want to explain that, it works that God takes that prayer and he uses it for the benefit of the mystical body. And so, yeah, as, as priest, that's part of our task. I mean, we intercede on behalf of our people. Um, remember when I was rector and, and professor at Mundelein and, and guys would say, you know, I just really struggle with the liturgy of the hours and I, I don't always feel like praying it. I say, well, I don't care if you feel like praying it. That's not the point. Like it's, you know, for your little private spiritual edification, you're praying for your people. Uh, it's cause they need it. It's not that you need it. Like if it benefits you spiritually, that's great. But, uh, primarily you're praying not as a monk so much. You're praying as a, as as a pastoral minister, you're praying for your people, so I think that's a that's a super important theme. Hmm. Yeah, and I think as a identity of a priest, um, for us too. I mean, we don't have to fast from the Eucharist because we're praying Mass every yeah. day, but um, it can. I, I found it's led to an invitation to a certain kind of detachment um, from. You know, what are the normal consolations or everyday comforts of being a priest, of people being, mm-hmm. you know, oh, nice homily or, right. you know, just the, the face-to-face contact with people where this is um, why I'm doing this, this is who I am, is is in relationship to these people as their priest. 
Um, but this is an occasion for us too to, you know, not, uh, we're not abandoning the flock, but how, what does that look like in the mystical body? Like you're talking mm-hmm. about, um, yeah. and how does love for, I mean, it's so, it feels so removed that, you know, statistically, this is what the medical professionals, this is, this is the act of charity for the vulnerable is to mm-hmm. suspend public, uh, gatherings. Yeah. Um, I but mean, that doesn't know, mean we that can, we're not still loving them. Right. And, and we have this unique opportunity. We in this, time to use these tools i mean so connor you can reach out you can do a video send it around to you know all the kids that are i don't know all the catholic kids or something and we can all do that we can all find ways now through the social media to reach out and i I love it actually as i look around the the web you know which i do kind of as part of my profession uh popping up are all of these priests many former students of mine say oh yeah good he's doing mass or he's doing a retreat or he's doing do you guys remember father burke masters he's well before your time oh yeah joliet but burke is yeah of course from joliet burke is a great guy and and he's doing this thing where he does his daily workout combined with prayer and so he kind of invites us into his space and he's doing his calisthenics and so on and then he'll pause for uh you know part of the office of readings and it's just you know and it's his way of keeping contact with his people and say yeah. let's be physically healthy and let's be spiritually healthy so i thought great you know let's let's um express ourselves in all these creative ways and it's all good i, I had something kind of melt my heart yesterday i was on a zoom meeting with uh a group of the kids that we were would have been on this mission trip and the leader of the meeting said you know do you guys want to keep meeting maybe once a week for the rest of the semester and just kind of catch up i know you guys might have other things going on once classes start and this one girl goes well I kind of like to do it because this is my only contact with a priest. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, now that that masses are yeah suspended. Um, but yeah, yeah I just but thought, we can wow, use them. These are tools that we have that that people heck ten, fifteen years ago didn't have. So let's use them. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So, Bishop, did this interact and interfere with any of your, I know confirmations were happening, yeah. like, right before Lent. Did it interact with any of that? Oh, yeah, sure. In fact, uh, when we first kind of pulled the plug on on uh, masses out here, it was right before confirmations. I was supposed to have some, I think it was last Saturday, I was supposed to have two confirmations. So, they're in suspense right now. We don't know what we're going to do. We might yeah. postpone them till next fall. We might be able to resume some. We don't know. But oh yeah, it affected all that. How many how many guys are you going to ordain out there or projected uh, for? I spring? think it's nine this year. I think. Wow. Um, and St. John's Seminary, you know, has been continuing. So we didn't do what other seminaries have done, which is simply close. But they've kind of kept the guys, you know, quarantining in place at the seminary. So yeah. that's been continuing out here. Um, but yeah, it's. I think it's nine this year. Cool. No, I've just been I've been praying specifically for for those guys of that i mean just the thought i mean hopefully nothing's delayed or anything like that but just crowd size you know it's such like it's one of my favorite days of the whole year for the diocese and it's just so like festive and um i don't know that's become more and more specific to to my prayer for those guys yeah no good good we need it and uh yeah i'm i'm hopeful that you know in a few more weeks we can get through this thing i hope uh I mean, I like I like the president's thing about Easter. I, you know, please God, that's true that by Easter right. we could be, but you know, who knows? Who knows? Uh, yeah. I guess we've got to be patient with it. Uh, 
do the best we can. Um, you know, learn these spiritual lessons we've been talking about. I think for us to continue reaching out to people uh, during this time, uh, our colleagues too. You know, so as as bishop reaching out to the priests here in my region, for you guys to your you know your friends and yeah. uh, colleagues and what are you, whatever is your deanery or your you know region. I think that's important. Yeah, stay yeah. together. Yeah. yeah, that that idea of festivity. I, I too think about things like ordinations and weddings and um, right. Even as silly as this might sound, but March Madness. You know, Illinois was doing really well this year, yeah. and I was looking forward to the tournament. And um, it makes you appreciate again. Back to the contingency thing. Uh, it has made me appreciate and long more for when we can do that. And obviously that. You know, the festivity that we have that erupts, especially the authentic, you know, celebration of the sacraments, for instance, but all of the ways that just human life is charmed by gathering together in Mm -hmm. small groups and big groups. uh, Not being able to do that has really made me appreciate it and long for kind of like that day when we have the big parade when coronavirus is over and we can do confirmations and stuff again. And I I think that is... uh, you know, that's an authentic, my understanding of detachment is not a uh, repression of the desire for those things, um, but kind of a, an intensification like the mm-hmm. Augustine's notion of prayer that, you, you know, the more you ask for, yeah. the, the bigger your heart gets to receive, right. not in necessarily the way that you expected or wanted or pictured it, but yeah. that God has something great in store. And that's obviously uh, at the end of the day, the heavenly Jerusalem, the parousia, that festivity is what we are just tasting in shadow form in these other in these other ways mm-hmm. of March Madness and stuff. But boy, I do hope next year yeah, that this is the unforgettable Lent and that this is just like a memory that makes us appreciate more Easter vigils and ordinations. You, you reminded me of uh, it must have been last year. There was a, a meme appeared, and it was uh, the Cubs were doing well at some point last year, and it, it was a image of the Cub had just hit. I think it was a grand slam. And he's coming like a game or a walk-off home run, like the game ending. Yeah, Miguel. Uh, and he, he's coming around third base, and the whole team is there to kind of welcome him home. And the crowd's going crazy. And it was the comment was, you know, an anticipation of our arrival in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a baseball fan, that, that really kind of spoke to me, you know. Like at the this sort of victorious, uh, you know, trot around the bases that, that is ended by – this rapturous welcome by all of our friends and, and the crowd. And I thought it was a beautiful image of, of what heaven will be like. I think that you're referring to Miguel Montero, who hit that Grand Slam in your current city, L.A. Well, you're in Santa Barbara, but... Uh, yeah, but they had, I think they had their home uniforms on. As I remember oh, the really? picture. But, but I just think it's a, it's a beautiful um, image. You know? It is a great image. Speaking of... You know what's funny? One thing I'm, I'm really regretting. Do you guys know this fellow... Um, He's a pitcher for the Pirates. Um, oh gosh, now I'm forgetting his name. But he's he. I didn't know this, but he was a, a fan of the Word on Fire podcast. Huh. And I happened to be telling the story at, at Christmas time. I was home, and my sister and brother in law got me. I'm looking at it right now. It's this great gift. It was my little league mitt, the mitt that I wore like when I was a kid. Mm. And my mother somehow had it. I don't know how she got. It. But they bring it to a place. And they can re-outfit it. They they put new strings hmm. in it, and they polish or they you know oil it up and stuff. And they gave it to me as a gift, which is great. So I'm telling the story in the podcast, you know. Well, this pitcher, 
gosh, I'm forgetting his name now. But he's a one of the starting pitchers for the Pirates. And uh Arden Catholic. And he said, uh, hey, you know, Bishop, I, I read this and I'm co- we're coming to Dodger Stadium April the 18th. And what I'd love to do is invite you to come to the game, bring your friends, bring the mitt, and, and we'll play catch before the game. <laughs> oh, like, that's awesome. So I said cool. to my, my scheduler, she's right next door, I said, all right, whatever is on the calendar, <laughs> unless the Pope wants to see me, it's off and we're doing this, you know. So I hope, please God, we can reschedule that for some later time. Oh, but, no. Oh, man. Yeah, but that's April 18th. So I'm sure it's not going to happen. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. One was of my favorite tre- stories of Trevor yours? Williams? Yeah, Bishop? that's it. That's it. Trevor yeah, Williams. Yeah, he's a, he's a faithful yeah. Catholic. Yeah, yeah just following baseball. Yeah, cool. that's it. Very I was going to cool. say one of my favorite uh, celebrity things from your time out there that I've heard about was the sitting out on the Simpsons read. Oh, gosh, yeah. I love that. With... With uh, William Friedkin, <laughs> to make it even weirder, the director of The Exorcist. Uh, wow. Who had, <laughs> oh, remember this is several years no ago. Way. interviewed me about this. He was doing a documentary on exorcism, and he interviewed me to talk about the theology. So nice guy. Came out here to my house and, you know, fascinated to meet him. And we talked about the great movies of the 70s that he did. And Well, then in my office, I'm looking at that right now, too. Uh, there's a little thing that someone gave me of... Superintendent Chalmers and uh, Principal Skinner. <laughs> Super and Nintendo Skinner. Chalmers. Super Nintendo Chalmers, right. And uh, so he said, oh, are you a Simpsons fan? I said, oh, gosh, yeah, of course. And he said, well, I've been invited to a table reading of The Simpsons uh, in three weeks. Do you want to come? And I'm like, again, you know, unless the Pope is calling me. <laughs> so we, we set the – it was. It was a great thrill. I loved it. I loved every minute of that. That's so cool. That's that funny. is wild. Yeah. Bishop, I gotta say, uh, one of the things that I, I I receive your daily gospel ref- reflections from Word on Fire, yeah, and uh, and one of the things that you know, since our time at Mudline and getting to know you a little bit better and just kind of being exposed to Word on Fire through Mudline and and being around you and other guys, that I am constantly amazed by the volume of content that you put out. Um, like the amount of things that you're creating and doing simultaneously, talks, uh, video series, books, lectures, <laughs> daily gospel reflections. Like, so here's a little insight. Our podcast here, we're trying to write a little book slash compilation of essays. Mm-hmm. And we're working on maybe 12, which would be a four piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've been working on it for over a year. <laughs> Yeah, and that they're on the back burner, and I get pretty excited when I finish an essay, you know. Yeah. And so it's just as a priest who who does a lot of the same things that you do, and and yet you, I don't do any of the things that you do. At the same time, it's it's kind of baffling. And I guess my a question is like, does that come naturally to you, or like have have you always had that capacity to just motor through about a billion things, or what? Yeah, I guess so. It's, I I love to do it. I'm I'm good at it. You know, I like sat down yesterday. I wrote a, a column, and um, I just des- described it briefly to you guys a few minutes ago. You know, but I did that in about I don't know forty five minutes maybe. And I realized for a lot of people that would maybe take a, a week to do that. So it comes partially from just experience and practice like anything else. Um, when you've been at it for a long time, as I have, going back to when I was a kid and first started reading theology and then going through all my studies, all my doctoral studies, my years of teaching and writing books, and 
So you, you reach a point where, yeah, I can, you know, I can do this. The other side though is, uh, just time management. Uh, and, you know, I do all the stuff you've been describing in between. It's in the interstices now because I, I'm busy with all the administrative stuff. Oh, I'm in a car so. all the time. I'm going to meetings and liturgies and all that. Um, part for me is airplanes. I do a lot of reading on airplanes. So if I want to really get caught up on, I just got Matt Levering's new book on, uh, on Baltazar. So I've read some of it here, but that's, I would take that like on a plane and say, okay, I'm going to read that on the way to New York or something. So I, I try to fit things in at their, at their proper time. But yeah, it's just, I think from experience and practice and you know your field after a while. Um, and then another thing, another principle we try to follow is not to, um, multiply things unnecessarily. What I mean is, can I use, you know, a sermon I did years ago as a basis for the gospel reflection? Can I use an article I just wrote to do a video? Can I use a homily now as I'm putting together a talk? And you know what I mean? So you, you try yeah. to be as economical as you can with the material that you are producing. Um, uh, so anyway, those are a couple of ideas. Wow. Was there a time that, uh, I imagine this would have been early on in your studies, but that, um, Part of my struggle, too, is feeling like I never really got schooled in the classics where mm -hmm. like sitting on a, a plane and reading a Matt Levering book, I, I, I will read a lot of contemporary stuff. And uh, but I feel like what I lack sometimes even to understand the contemporary stuff or to put it in perspective or to make that worth my time, I have to go back and read Dante or yeah, um, yeah. Well, stuff like that. Do it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the answer. <laughs> it was like when uh, Merton when Merton was saying, uh, his yeah. friend asked him, uh, "I just want to be a good Catholic." He's like, "No, just be a saint." How do, well, how do you be a saint? Just do it. <laughs> just yeah. will it. Will it? You know. So uh, I was just I just did um, you know for the Word on Fire Institute we record these classes. So this is right before the quarantine came in. I did twelve lectures. I did six on Dante and six on the Church Fathers. You know. But I told the story of when I first read Dante, and it was the summer of 1990. I was in Germany studying German, and we had this intense, like, six-hour-a-day course. And when I came back, I was just kind of, you know, my brain was fried. But I brought with me from Paris, that's where I was living at the time, this little paperback of the Divine Comedy, which I'd never read. I thought, well, okay, I'll read that to kind of unwind. <laughs> so <laughs> that's when I first read it. And I, I just got so caught up in it, read it like it was a novel. But um, yeah, at a certain point, I was about 30 at the time. Before then, I'd never read it. But then it's become like one of the master texts for me. So yeah, I would I would pick some of those really great texts and then really go after them. Mm. You guys were, um, you were kind of publishing, you're still doing that, uh, classics, like in through the Word on yeah. Fire publishing thing, yeah. right? Uh huh. And those have been cool. Those nice hardcover editions. We got yeah. a ton of publishing this, this year. I just came out with that little book called Centered. I don't know if you've seen that. It's yeah, for the Word on Fire Institute members. But it's a little, I love it. It's a little compilation. It was edited by a friend of, uh, Brandon Vaughn's. And just, it was like little excerpts from writings of mine on these different themes. But it's meant to say, here's the Word on Fire, you know, spirituality. Um, and then we've got uh, a book from Catholic University Press of essays of mine over the, since I've been out here really the last four years of 
when I've given talks and lectures and, and I've written more serious essays, those are coming out as a collection. Um, and then the Pivotal Players book. So remember that I've done now 12 of these films on the Pivotal Players. Well, each one had a script of about, you know, 5,000 words. So with some editing, we're bringing all those out as a, as a book. So that's coming mm-hmm. out, I think, in the fall. Mm-hmm. And then our series on the uh, sacraments. So I recorded that last last fall, maybe, in L.A. I did seven talks on the sacraments. So that'll be coming out, I hope, for like a parish sort of audience. So we got a lot of things on the way. Now, with all this content you put out, and you mentioned the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, picture, and I, I hear from people, too, that... Um, Oh, I'm watching the Baron Mass and stuff like that. Just, I imagine the response you get is consistent and multitudinous, right? A lot of people. Any any one stand out to you of like, wow, I didn't see that coming. From the for the Mass, you mean, or for anything? Well, for any of the stuff that you you know you put out video series for parishes, and do you have a sense oh, yeah. of like that? You know, this stuff is really, or any particular stuff is really get. Getting traction well, and I'll transforming you, lives. Well, the one thing that got most traction last year was the my little book, The Letter to a Suffering yeah. Church. That's now sold 1.3 million copies. Wow. So that book was, a year ago right now, I was writing it. Uh, and it was the, you know, suggested by a former publisher of mine. And, um, I wrote it very quickly. It's like 18,000 words, maybe. And, uh, just did it. Just did it. And, uh, we brought that out, and we didn't really know. I mean, I, I, I don't know what people pick up on it, what they pay attention, but uh, I think about how many pair 5,000 parishes, I think, used it, um, and it's 1.3 million copies. So that's had by far the biggest uh, response. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, gosh, thinking about it, that was a year ago mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the, I was talking to a friend of mine re- recently, religious, who uh, about my age, and she was we're just reflecting on how um, life has in many ways turned out how, how we expected it, you know, as we commit our lives to, to Christ and the mission of the church. And uh, But then how much of it has just not <laughs> turned out that way? Yeah. Not necessarily in a, sometimes in a bad way, but um, just in a, a much different, more surprising way. I think you talk a lot about oh, the gosh. theodrama, but... Yeah. Man, when you just look back on a few of these, I've been a priest, I'll be six years a priest in May. Um, mm-hmm. Six years. And boy, when I, you know, went into seminary in 2008, uh-huh. 12 years ago, just how the world and the church looked different. And Oh, gosh. Well, think of, yeah, but think of, in my case, in 1986, becoming yeah. a priest. And I mean, none mm. of the of the scandals and troubles mm. were even on the radar screen. Nobody saw that coming, believe me. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the massive changes what I think too, Connor, is you're, I'm looking right now at this little picture of Cardinal George I have in my mm-hmm. uh, office. And, um, if you had asked me when I got back from my doctoral studies and began teaching at Mundelein, what I would have seen as the trajectory is probably, you know, teach at Mundelein for 10 years and then uh, try to get a job at a university and uh, be a professor of theology. That's probably what I would have seen for myself. And indeed, it was kind of opening up that way. At, at that moment in my life. And it was Cardinal George, who was my bishop at the time. And he said no when I had an offer to become a professor of theology at a university. And he said, I just think there's something else for you. There's something else that you're meant to do, you know. And at the time, I was 
you know, I was kind of put off by that and disappointed. And, but it's that, as we all know, you put your hands in the hand of the hands of the ordaining bishop and you say, I promise obedience to you and your successors. And heck, when I did that with Joseph Bernadine, I had no idea who Francis George was. And yet, and I'm looking at him now, that man, you know, decisively set a direction for my life. And, and this, all this work I've, I've done, which is academic in a way, I've, I've used all of that, I think, but all of the evangelical work, that's what he intuited, I think, and set me on that path. And so that's, and then, you know, becoming a bishop, I, he, he didn't, I don't think he saw that, but um, you never know what <laughs> what's going to open up and what what path the Lord has for you. You don't know. Something else. Yeah, I love how how even just vague that is. Like, he, yeah, he didn't see what it was exactly. He's, but I no. remember he said, "I don't see." He said, "You would be a beloved teacher. You would direct doctoral dissertations, and you'd walk around the campus. You'd a little black a bag." But he said, I just don't see that for you. Okay, and here's a guy who was an academic. I mean, he totally got that life and knew it and loved it, as I as I do. And I don't mean that at all, like, you know, dismissively. But he just didn't see that uh, as what I should be doing. Yeah. We, he, he's one of the patrons of our podcast here. We Oh, good. Man, yeah, I think he impacted all of us quite a bit. Oh yeah, I met his sister at a talk, uh, a Lumen Christi talk on his last book. Um, was that the Christian Humanism book? Uh, or, uh, last, I can't remember his he last died, book. The one they published right yeah. after he died. Yeah. Anyways, uh, his sister was there, baby. and I got yeah, yeah, and, and I said, you know, I pray for and to Cardinal George every day, and she said, well, you can pray to him, but you don't need to pray for him. And I thought, yeah. I said, in my head, he wouldn't want you to say that, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, same thing with me. I, I basically I invoke him every day. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it, does, it reminds me of uh, the book of Esther when her uncle says, uh, "Perhaps it was for such a time as this that you were chosen." Mm -hmm. You know, um, we don't choose the times. We don't. And this is Father Nick Blaha's uh, catchphrase now that Augustine, uh, what is it, "Sumus talis tempora," you know, these are hard times, bad times, but. We are the times, you know, such as we are, such are the times. Mm -hmm. um, That's Gandalf's line, isn't it? The, yeah, isn't the photo, it? <laughs> you know, it's not ours to choose the time that we're given, but what what is the line? But Yeah, but what we do with the time that we're given. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I heard a good one in an Irish movie I watched with my mom the other night. Yeah. Uh, we're not here for a, we're here for a good time, but not for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> very Irish. Yeah, very that's Irish. Pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Well, do you have something for the uh, massive listenership? I mean, they're looking for comfort right now from uh, the church hierarchy of the Three Dogs North Nation. Any uh, closing <laughs> words? Well, no, it really... would be what I've been writing and talking about, which is to see this as an opportunity. So whatever happens is in some sense the will of God, right? Jean-Pierre de Cossat. Whether it's active will or permissive will, whatever happens is God's will. So therefore, there's something. There's some door that's opening. There's some windows opening, some opportunity. Uh, and so, as I said in that Pascal video, you know, maybe this is your time to read more deeply, to pray more profoundly, to sit alone in your room, you know, and uh, let the distractions die away and come to a deeper appreciation of, of the things that last. Or maybe it's a time when you're, you're really aware of your contingency. You, you realize how dependent you are and finally upon God 
So I, I, would, I guess I'd say take advantage of this time as a real spiritual opportunity and not just, not just shake your fist at it and say, oh, I hope this goes away, which, you know, we all do, but also see it as a spiritual opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Bishop, but what was the, and I guess this is another final question here. Um, what was the last movie? Well, what do you have any movie recommendations um, uh, in this time of extra I time? Oh, I, I saw The Invisible Man right before the lockdown. In fact, I think it was it was almost an empty theater, and I didn't like it. So uh, I won't recommend that. That's <laughs> a movie let's see, that I saw recently that I liked. Did uh, you see A Hidden Life, Bishop? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, no, you mean the one about um, uh, uh, Franz uh, Jägerstetter? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I've never seen it. I had an opportunity when it was still, you know, kind of coming out. But no, it's, it's, it's available good. for streaming now. Yeah, I mean, I'll watch it then. Uh, I hear, I mean, I like Terrence Malick a lot. He's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But no, I've not seen that yet. What well, have you guys seen that you like? That So that one and what else? That would definitely be on the list. Yeah, um, Hidden Life would be the first one. How about the sequel to, uh, is it The Quiet Life? What's it called? The one you were... Oh, oh, Quiet Place. place. The quiet yeah. Place, yeah. I saw that a coming attraction for it, and I yeah. liked the first one a lot. I thought it was really religiously interesting movie. Me too. Yeah. My brother yeah. sent me the uh, the Godfather trilogy, so I'm honestly oh, going gosh. back through those, which is really fun. <laughs> Nothing better. <laughs> That's just not what of, I wanted. It's this thing of Father Presta, yeah. Chemist, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the Cardinal wanted. It's not what I wanted. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not dumb. I'm smart. I'm smart. I can do things. <laughs> oh, the Godfather, except for number three, which is a sag in the texture, but but those movies are. But even number three has some marvelous things in it, you know. But they're so good. They're so watchable. Yeah, and as Father Preston says, all of life, right? Like, like the Godfather <laughs> expresses all the great truths of life. There's something yeah. to that, you know. Father Presta. Oh, I he's miss great. him. Yeah, I was supposed to see him. I saw him at Christmas time. Whenever I go to Chicago, we make sure we get together for dinner. Yeah. Um, and he's, yeah, he was in good form. Oh, and you know, he's speaking from, he's coming out here, if, if all goes well, in June for oh, the retreat nice. for our deacons. Because oh, our deacons asked for, these are our permanent deacons. They asked for a Mariological retreat. And so there I said, go. I got the man for you. And so <laughs> yeah. I texted him right away and said, hey, Chem, are you free by any chance next June? And, you know, so, yeah, I'll, I'll see him then for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Bishop, we really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, time for us. It gets me away from my awful creed book. Anxiously <laughs> 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 await it. Yeah, no, no, I'm going to go back to it now. <laughs> Good. Wasn't going to say it, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> uh, well, God bless you. Yeah, and, you guys uh, are great. Thank you. Know of our prayers for you, and please pray for us. I sure will. I yeah, sure thanks, will. Bishop. Yeah, God bless you guys. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.
Spanky dogs. Spanky dogs. Good girl.